Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. They had an inline six that worked for many, many years, their standard format. Ford made like a three-bearing V8, but you couldn't do much with it. They had a 3.8-litre V8 made 100 horsepower. An American company making the world's best outboards have developed a 600-horsepower V12 outboard. Racing cars have been built, have been built for American customers. They, they had the money... They had the idea, they wanted the cars, and you know, they, they, they kept the Ferraris and the Porsches in business. Hello and welcome to episode number 37 of the Collecting Addicts podcast. It's been going on such a long time now that I started this notebook for my idle scribblings and note takings in episode one. And I'm just about to finish it now. So we've almost done an entire notebook's worth of podcasts. Hooray to us. This week, first of all, we want to talk about the car company called Audi. Neil Clifford was just mentioning earlier this week how much he loved Audis. And all of us agreed. So let's eulogise about the company called Audi. Neil Clifford, tell me, why do you love Audis? I just think it's the thinking man's BMW, really, isn't it? You know, if you if you want everything that you need and nothing more, it is Audi. Exactly. Right? If you wanted to we buy a car the way you buy a fridge, you'd buy an Audi. It's the perfect. Yeah, but it's for me. For me, I think it's the trust in that four by four thing that you know you have to admire the Quattro thing because you always go to it when you just want safety, when you want to protect your yeah. children, you want to protect your cockapoos you want to protect when you're going skiing your all of your personal belongings you know you're not going to crash in an audi it's the original iphone isn't it you know if mercedes is i don't know you remember those flip b and o phones that were just a bit too much a bit too sort of good and bmw now is probably i don't know samsung or something audi is just the cleanest of the brands well waitrose when it was good 
Yes, exactly. As opposed Middle to class. now when the fruit isn't very good because yeah. m just do it so much yeah. better. Also, so, they're so confident. They only I need grey in their colour palette. Yeah, it does everything you need and absolutely nothing more because why do you need that extra bit when it does nothing? So it's Can I show you where it started? Yeah, go on, go on. There it is. Look oh, at yes. the, the coupe. Is that, is that for an, sale? That it was. Me, I, it's an Audi, not an Audi. It's an Audi. It's an Audi 100 S Coupe, 1976, on collecting cars. I'm amazed this is still around because in the mid-70s, the middle class of Britain was permanently drunk. I grew up in the mid-70s, and all I can remember was going to, being dragged to parties. as a little bear by my parents, and everyone was drinking the whole time. So this is special. That's special interesting. But so obviously in the 1930s, Auto Union, which I believe was a combination of the, at the time of three of companies. The four, it was oh, one four. of the four little hoopy things, yeah. yeah. Slightly failed Olympics sign, yeah. But yeah, yeah I think that is... That's the that is ground zero, year zero of Audi. Interesting. And that's where it all began. By the way, people who are watching this on YouTube, I apologize for the way that we look, because we don't look great, apart from Manish, who always looks immaculate. Uh, you might see a pink flamingo underneath him on the screen. And that's just the person that organizes our podcast coming in and out again. But we can't we can't get rid of that logo. But the lovely Johnny is there with his logo at the moment. He might disappear. Don't worry if he does. Um, so at Audi, you're quite right. You know, we deserve, well, they deserve all of the love uh, because no car company, in in my experience, has spent so much time and effort perfecting understeer in a car. And understeer is safe. As a family, you should want understeer because when you fall off the road, you see the tree you're going to hit as opposed yeah. to not seeing it. And that's, yeah. a, that's, that's a great service because everyone wants to see what they're going to hit. It's yeah. such a shock. It's like a shark coming to attack you. If a shark is going to bite your head off, you want to see it coming. You don't want it to bite your legs off so you can't see them, do you? And that's what Audi does for us, okay? Yeah. I think that's a little bit unfair. And we, you, I, you, you're clearly talking about a level of road car here, but Audi goes beyond the road car. Exactly. It won, it won Le Mans five times. Yeah. Exactly. In a car that looks just Audi. like an Audi. In a car, and when I, whenever I see those Le Mans cars, I think that's an Audi. Yeah. I don't think that could be any car at all. I think that's an Audi. Yeah. Who's, who's the tall bloke that won all the rallying? Walter Rawl. Walter Rawl. Yeah. I mean, what a legend. He and is he, a legend, actually. Yeah, what a legend. And you watch those old YouTube things of him with that Audi Quattro. It's just yeah. bloody fantastic. He, he, I think he's gutted that he can only drive Porsches these days. He's only allowed out in public driving a Porsche. And that must wound him so much. Right, lads. I think we've just proved that we're not very good at sarcasm. Ultimately, none of us have changed our view on Audi. There's a couple that are good, but most of them are as dull as a ball in the bag curry. So none of us <laughs> needs to know. Um, and um, our attempt at sarcasm hasn't worked. We're going to move on to a much more interesting subject proposed by Manish Pandey this week, which he just said, can we just talk about American cars? Because I've got lots to say about them. And I thought, what a great idea. 
because I'm not sure people will be prepared for our opinions on American cars. We might surprise them, we might not. I worry that Chris Cooper, the man that can never answer the questions mm. asked, is currently drinking a Red Bull, which worries me massively. So I'm definitely not going to ask him to answer this first. Manish, it's your subject. You have 11 minutes to talk American cars now. <laughs> Probably just two. Um, I thought about this because I, um, I saw an advert for, uh, you know, those classic 1970s adverts for the great big American brick cars. And I was thinking to myself, this is the nation that gave us the kind of F-14 Tomcat, the F-15 Eagle, mm. the F-16 mm. Fighting Falcon, the F-18 Hornet, the F-35, <laughs> the F-22. And it kept giving us these bricks. And I didn't really understand it. I, I literally didn't understand it. And then actually, you wrote back in the group, Chris, I think quite poignantly, this is something that I'm falling in love with more and more and more. And I thought about when I really loved American cars, what did I love? And I loved muscle cars. I think that's what we did. When we were kids and you saw a muscle car, you fell in love with a muscle car. There was something about the proportions. It was, you know what it was? It's a difference between a leopard which is European, and a Jaguar, which is South American. Basically, a Jaguar is a leopard that's been doing human growth hormone. It's been taking steroids. You know, it's just, Jaguars eat alligators. They actually eat alligators. They can do that. And um, for me, they were the American cars that I fell in love with. I made a little list of the ones that I thought were really rather beautiful. The Mustang, the Camaro, the Charger, the Challenger. And then I thought about what you had said, which is you're more in love with them now, or you, mm. you like them more now than you did then. And I was thinking, there is an American car that I see every single day, and I see more and more of them. And it's not the new Mustang, it's a Tesla. And I never think about them as American cars. It's it's a really weird thing. I think I, when I see a Tesla, I don't go, oh, there's an American car. And they've kind of done it, haven't they? Through the back door. You know, whether you like Elon and X or whatever or not, the guy took the establishment on as a South African, went out there, built these cars, has moved the state that he built the cars in, and Look, we've, I mean, I had a big moan about a car that's powered by an iPad. But the truth is, he has taken it to the Raptor level, hasn't he? The guy has made the car industry have a good, hard think. And there's been a paradigm shift. So the American car, it started with Ricardo Montalban talking to you about the Cordoba. And it's a beautiful velour at the price that you can afford. And we now have Teslas. And wow, American cars. Yeah, I think um, what I love about American cars is that they are, they seem to me to fit an intended purpose. The Americans are the purpose. And they, they build stuff that they need and they, re and they allow themselves to only go beyond that normally with silliness. Yeah. So they build trucks to be used as trucks and they build big cars to do what they want to do. And if your roads are very straight and they have some bumps in them and the occasional dirt, it makes a lot of sense to have a live rear axle and leaf springs. Why would you want fancy independent rear suspension when it's just going to break? 
So they do tend to build stuff with a fitness for purpose. And that meant that we as Europeans had a very sniffy attitude towards the way they did things, which I think at times even I bought into. In hindsight, I think some of it was just absurdly snobbish. But at other times, I think we were right. Because what we did do was rather than go there and drive their cars, we imported them here, drove them on our roads, mm-hmm. and then thought they were crap. Didn't That's the it. wrong thing to do. That's like buying Retsina and bringing it over here and drinking it. It will taste like fucking alligator piss over here. But over there in the right circumstances, it'll taste gorgeous. So I think I think that was it was always context. And I'll give you an, I'll give you an example of the snobbishness. This is 1989. This is Car Magazine, my favourite tomb. Look at this for a headline. I mean, the arrogance of our country. America, with a little help from oh, the Lotus, Lotus yeah. builds Finally a diesel sports car. I mean, that, that, just, that just sums up the sentiment, doesn't it? Yeah. We thought we were so superior. Um, but of course, human beings tend to only react to situations that require profound change. You know, we had we had an oil crisis that really affected us in the 70s. And that's why we had to rethink the way we did things. You know, we, we the ingenuity that made the Mini and the Fiat 500 became the norm. So we went off and designed engines that could run on small amounts of fuel. The Americans didn't need to do that, really. So they invented the, the V8. I was just reading about a brief history of the V8. I thought to myself, why do Americans use V8? It's very simple. They had an inline six that worked for many, many years, their standard format. Ford made like a three-bearing V8, but you couldn't do much with it. They had a 3.8-litre V8 made 100 horsepower. But but they they lengthened the straight straight six to become a straight eight. But that became such a problem with metallurgy that the crank would actually twist a bit and the firing order would be off on straight eight. So they would sound a bit odd because the crank was bending. So they thought, well, what can we do with this? And the obvious solution was to have eight cylinders in a V, not much more than half a litre swept capacity on each cylinder. And you ended up with the V8. It was it's, it was the solution that everyone required. And I think that's... But like managers, I've always had this disconnect. How could a country that made the SR71 that set up companies to, you know, to buy titanium from the Russians to make a plane they were going to spy on them with, why were they knocking out things that made you know that were made of pig iron i i think it's about fitness and purpose as a country they decided that their intelligence was best used trying to get to the moon and trying to spy on people and they were quite happy going to work in a corvette or an f-150 chris cooper wants to talk so i agree with all that and i think the fitness of purpose purposing is really really important i also think we can blame or explain it through the age of enlightenment the Age of Enlightenment was this 18th century European philosophical intellectual movement which said countries, it was after the scientific revolution, countries should be based on reason and logic, separation of church and state, blah, blah, blah. The American Revolution was one of the byproducts of the, it was the American Age of Enlightenment. And the American Declaration of Independence deliberately set out to make a country different, particularly from the UK. So, as always with my explanations, later in this academic year, I'll give a further explanation and lecture on some aspects of the Age of Enlightenment. But for now, I will strip myself to saying it was always going to be different. That's why their racing circuits go anti-clockwise, because their running circuits went anti-clockwise, because they had the view that humans had a right side dominance, would tend to turn that way. But it's resulted in really weird things, fitness for purpose. There is 
sport fishing is amazingly big in America. There is earlier on this year, there was a white marlin fishing competition in Florida where the prize fund was $10 million for the biggest fish. That's why Mercury, an American company making the world's best outboards, have developed a 600 horsepower V12 outboard. I mean, just fill, fill your boots. All kinds of weird things, tractor pulling, a V8 powered chainsaw, and our favorite, our favorite yes. outdoor yes. barbecue purveyor, okay, man. Yeah. Big Jake. Big Jake. He's amazing. Are you going to invoice us for the printer uh, use uh, for this episode? Them. Anyway. Have you so, mounted have you mounted those on a phone? They're on card, yes. aren't they? It's actually using sticky back plastic from Blue Peter. Did you, no, have, did you suddenly find yourself with spare clerical capacity this morning? No, I, I've got some, we've got some interns in. Ah. And I said, think about what you're going to do. So, I, as a result of that, I just you thought, one of, favorite, car yet. one of my favourite cars, based on all of that, I'm glad you asked me that, Edward. Ford Galaxy 500. Ooh, had those yeah. beautiful rear lights. There was one at the Bista Heritage thing, Neil, that you and I read the other week. And I spoke to Cameron Carroll with me, and, and Carl said, look at the real lights, they're amazing. And they were deliberately made to look like the exhaust from rockets or jets or spaceships. Ford Lincoln Continental, 1963. Oh. By 25 years, the first folding metal roof on a car. Yeah. Eat your heart out, Mercedes. So that fitness for purpose actually produced NASCAR engines. Everyone has tended to poo-poo pushrod heavy iron engines it's a pushrod engine six liter unrestricted revs to ten thousand rpm 850 horsepower that ain't a boring old fart american engine so i think that fitness for purpose has produced some amazing cars i think we should come back to the corvette the corvette is a story all in itself all those generations the one now nobody can argue with but some of the the, the co1 and the co3 I, I really love. So I think there are some unbelievably wonderful cars. So Neil Clifford, Neil Clifford, what's your relationship with the American motor car? My, mine is the 70s television programmes when we were all sort of, I don't know, three-day weeks and slightly miserable 70s. We always remember that 1976 sort of heat wave, but actually the 70s was a, was a little bit crap, wasn't it? It was. And, but oh, then you had... Heart to heart, Starsky and Hutch, Fortorino, all these amazingly sophisticated, colourful, glamorous, diverse audience, glamorous, wealth, success, optimistic sort of American dream programmes. And they were all scooting around in these big fat cars with great noises and, you know, you were in the back of your 1.6L dad's Cortina Mark III, and then Kojak was in this sort of V8 monstrosity with a vinyl roof, and I just thought that is the place to go. You know, I never ended up going to New York till about, what, when was it, 91 was my first visit to New York. What did Kojak like, have? Did he have a copper-coloured Pontiac? Copper-coloured, yeah. It was like a dark copper-coloured thing, yes. four doors with a vinyl roof. But you know, and when he you put the roof, they used to put the light on it. Yeah, they put the light at the top. Magnetic light. 
Starsky and Hutch did that as well, didn't they? Yeah. Yes, yes. This is this is my son's car. I've got one. Love it. Uh, one. <laughs> you can buy anything in Andorra. <laughs> Brilliant. Including, you know, get yourself killed if you want in some sort of like euthanasia hotel. But you can buy these. And you can put them on top of your cars when you're driving along with your friends. But obviously, it's illegal, so I don't really do that. No. For I'm those not. listening rather than watching, Neil has Neil. taken Neil. out a police light that you can stick on your roof. Yes, I only I only do it in my in my which is purely <laughs> which is purely for decoration purposes when yes, he pretends exactly. to be inspe- when he pretends to be Inspector Gadget. No, the, the the window for me was the window of the future and optimism and success and money and beautiful women was was the seventies TV shows. Yeah, Dallas. Yeah, they all had German cars in Dallas, though, didn't they? They all had Mercedes. They had a lot of Mercedes. Yeah, that the five sixty SL and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dallas was the worst show for checking out American cars because they wanted to be exotic and European. Um, but I, but I, there's something about. I, there's also a, a, you touched on something there, Neil. There's the sound of American cars and an unstressed V8 running through two quite open pipes. The first time I went to an American airport, I remember going outside waiting for a taxi, and you hear like a van, like a, a General Motors van, come towards you, and it, and it goes, and they roll past, and you just immediately you go, that sounds so, your world sounds better than our world. Everything <laughs> about your world sounds better than our world. I'm in, I'm in New York on Friday, and there's no doubt within 10 minutes of arriving in Manhattan, you're like, oh, look at that. I'd love that UPS fan. Because <laughs> it's got a V8. Yeah. This, no. this, was, this is a Packard from 1953. Oh, that looks like a Penelope pit stop type car. In yeah. 1953, when they were dreaming of those, we had rickets and rationing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's... um. Uh, it's a mad world. Edward, love it. You're not allowed to talk about the Cobra either way because you love Cobras. So you're not allowed to talk about Cobras. It's funny you say that. Um, so I, I did pose on our little WhatsApp group the other day when we discuss a few days before the podcast, we come up with a series of things we're going to talk about. And we just put American cars, discuss. <laughs> I thought that's a very broad topic. So we will come back and we will make sure that we bring in some guests to help educate us um, on a subject we're probably not professionals at. But I've written a few things down here. <laughs> um, no replacement for displacement. Yeah. 1932 hot rods. Mm. Ford versus Ferrari. Great film. Black V16. Oh. The Raptor. Monster oh. trucks. Tesla. The old Bronco, the new Bronco, mm. the Corvette, Sebring, Daytona, Indy, Bonneville. Bonneville. America. We are thriving for your education and we love your cars and your engines. Yeah. I your circuits. So. What can And your circuits. So, yeah. I mean, I've, uh, the, the, the ridiculous Europe, again, arrogant European notion that they all just go around in circles. And then you go to Road Atlanta. I remember going there and thinking, this is so yeah. much better than anything we've got. Very grown up. Oh. And, and some, some of the best um, racing cars have been built, have been built for American customers. 
They they had the money. They had the idea. They wanted the cars, and you know they 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 kept the Ferraris and the Porsches in business and created some That's of the most amazing cars. And, and the car culture in the U.S. runs, I personally, I think deeper than most places in the world. It's um, it's quite impressive. Well, no, for sure, it. for sure, it does. And also the collections. Yeah, yeah. Some of the collectors out there. I mean, boom. I bet that basically we all need to move there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and if that yeah. if that doesn't garner us some more US listeners, then you're all mean bastards. Yeah. Um, that, that now segues neatly into the fact that the mostly European circus that is Formula One is landing upon Austin this weekend, I gather. Um, and uh, and once again, annoyingly, the Americans are serving up what I think is one of the best F1 spectacles of the year, that circuit. Doesn't fail to deliver. It's got it was well well thought out. You got some gradient. You got some very sketchy, very fast tightening radii. Then you've got some open stuff that involves a bit of track limits. And then you've got a massive back straight. Bada bing! You're going to get some overtaking. You're going to get some tire wear. It gets it gives you everything. It's a circuit where great drivers prosper, average drivers are exposed, and likewise their machinery. So um, before we talk about that though, let's talk about um, Qatar. Um, a race that many people, I think me included, think shouldn't have been run just for the safety of the drivers because it was clearly way too hot for them. Uh, anyone that's experienced cabin temperature in a car, we think you're going to pass out. Ugh, horrific. Yeah. Manish, what did you think? Let's start with Qatar and the heat issue uh, and whether you think they should have run or not. Um, I mean, you know, this is a very commercial business and um, they are just not going to cancel the Grand Prix because a few drivers say, and I'm I'm hot. Now, in fact, if you really want to see Formula One, in my opinion, at its most exposed, it was 1982. And that those cars had turbochargers in them and they had ground effect. And I, I don't know if you remember, it's, uh, we had a little sequence in Lucky where you see Nelson Piquet at the end of the Brazilian Grand Prix. He faints. He just faints. Mm. He just falls off the podium, you know. And um, so I think... You know, it's not it's it's not a new phenomenon. I guess the difference would be, as you you all tell me all the time, these drivers are better trained. have got a much better kind of um, pathway into Formula One. They're the fittest on average of any twenty drivers in the history of Formula One. So if Lance Stroll, have you seen that little clip of him sort of almost passing out? Yeah. If those guys are almost passing out, you know, then then you probably have a massive point, haven't you? Is it was it medically safe? And you wonder whether Professor Sid Watkins would have said, oh, you know, wanted up to Bernie and said, look, I think a couple might actually pass out here and go out into the crowd. So you you know, they get the, the calendar's different next year, isn't it? The race will be a bit later. At, yeah, at a slightly cooler, at a slightly cooler time. But you you're, you're you know, you're right. What are you doing running a race that hot? in September, October. And and you remember, I mean, it was, it, it, it was such a sort of, it, it was such a, it was a vicious race, wasn't it, in a way? That's what people used to say about sort of early 80s Formula One, that you didn't really see driver skill. You just got to see the strongest bloke win the Grand Prix. A little element of that as well. Yeah, and I, th I think for, for, there, were, there were a couple of aspects of it that I found deeply disturbing. Um, I've never seen someone like George Russell, who is by any stretch an athlete. You know, this is a bloke whose cardio would 
it wouldn't be people say they're like Olympic 800 meter runners. Of course they're not, but they're elite athletes. They're incredibly fit. Yes, and they're used and they're used to working in a very, very, very hot environment. They're yeah. conditioned to it, and to see him t- steering with his wrists, trying to channel air in through the cabin, that then it's gone too far. And I find it really strange. I mean, I was publicly admonished by someone at the BBC for saying that at Spa a couple of years ago, maybe they should just get on and have a race. And, and my reasons for this was not disregarding the, the safety of the drivers. It's saying that their approach is different to what I'm used to, which is I wouldn't expect to go flat out. I'd go out, tippy-toe round, thinking that the one thing I don't want to do is hurt myself. And if that meant someone else is going quicker than me, then so be it, they can win the race. They're taking the view that everyone has to go absolutely flat out in the conditions, otherwise they're going to get beaten. That's, that's mm. a different mindset. So I, I, I'm much more horrified by them racing in those hot conditions than I am any wet race. Because yeah. I think the idea that you're, and of course it was compounded by the fact that because you had the 18 lap limit on the tyres, everyone went, it became a sprint race. The Mercedes, the Mercedes, the Mercedes Russell package were the first ones to realise, actually, you don't manage these tyres, we just go flat out. Then everyone else joined suit. So these drivers weren't getting any respite at all. The circuit was also giving them no respite because it's incredibly fast and demanding on them. So it was a perfect storm in many yeah. ways. But I, I thought it was... I Could you imagine that race, though, Chris, if we'd had refueling? Can you imagine oh, doing those four stints with no fuel as well? I well just, that would have been an absolute nightmare. I, I think we can talk about the past, but it's, it's, I think we can say that no race, in, I think, in motorsport history has ever placed greater demands on drivers. And when you see people like that falling over, you know, when you see a piastri lying on his back, yeah. I mean, the bloke's fit as a whippet. Yeah. Uh, and I... I don't think it was good. I don't think, and also, I, I'm not sure it speaks well to to younger drivers that you know what they're saying is get, put yourself to the most extreme conditions so you can win a race. Risk passing out to win a race, not great. Yeah, they all look. George, I think you're right. Both George, when he was interviewed in the pen, and none of them looked very, very pale and just properly unwell. And I know, in when we used to race at the ring, I used to end up lying on my back in the next door garage and the Fräulein from the next door administered restorative water to me um but yeah i i can't that wasn't, that wasn't a euphemism she i mean she didn't wee on him she actually just you know put cold water on him she it's did not that yeah. of, well not a sort of german treat no it wasn't <laughs> no um so it was yeah hopefully it won't repeat itself didn't Ocon uh, vomit in his own helmet as yeah, well? Quite early on. That happens quite often. That happens quite often. That's not just there. But I, I almost clean. did it at Castle Coombe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I told you my vomiting story when I was sharing a car with Mr. C. Cooper. It's the first year we had a drinks tube. And <laughs> our, our our teammate, Mr. Guy Spur, and this happens quite a lot of the Nurburgring. In the gloaming, some people get a bit they get a bit nauseous as the lights coming down. They go through yeah, tear gun, axis. big yeah. jumps. And um Guy felt sick and bless him, he was sick into his helmet and he came into the pits and they bundled me into the car, out I went. But I didn't know, I, I could smell something in the car, but I didn't know he'd been sick. So I get him out a third of the lap round and think, oh, I'll have a quick drink. So I press the drink, I press the, it's a motorised drinks button and oh, it, it fired, it fired a good mouthful of his vomit into my mouth. Whereupon, whereupon I was sick straight away and had to do two hours <laughs> in my own vomit. So there you go. <laughs> We've all been there. And I'll tell you what now, Guy, Yours is the nicest vomit I've ever tasted. <laughs> and he's had a lot. And I've, tasted a, lot. A, I've tasted a bit. Yeah. One of us is a doctor and I feel squeamish. 
But that, but that, that's just that's just boys' toys. It's a, it's kindergarten compared to what those idiots were dealing yeah. dealing with in Guitar. Yeah. I just yeah. honestly, they're I, I, they continue to amaze me what they do physically. Uh, I also thought it was a really enjoyable race to watch. So let, let's and let's talk about the Mercedes thing because I've got a very clear view on the way that you go first. Okay, so you go first. I think this is the way I view it. I think, I think Lewis was in a position where we can probably understand and justify why he thought he can have a go around the outside. So the yep. thought process wasn't flawed. The execution was flawed, and it must have dawned on him as he was about to do it, this isn't going to work. But other than throw it off, he didn't have many places to go. And I'm, I'm an unashamed Lewis fan. What I like about him is that he has the humanness, the humanity at the time to fight his own corner. But very quickly... He reviews what's happened and he immediately goes, puts out of it, goes, that was entirely my fault. I'm sorry. I'm sure that doesn't help uh, George at the time, but I don't think it was premeditated. I don't think no, he tried to take his teammate out. So my view is he made a mistake, put his hands up and it's done with. I don't know what you lot think. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And I, I, the reason why I suggested this, I was quite struck for two things, really. Um, I've said before, I'm quite a George fan. I think he's... I think he's probably pretty good. I think he's he's still building his confidence. He's had a bit of a shocker year this year compared to last year, but I still think he's probably the real deal. And he's certainly sorted out his qualifying pace since the summer break. Um, so he can he can pull a time out of a car. He's very, very unpopular for some reason in social media, particularly in the UK. On places like Piston Heads, he's really massively unpopular. Yeah, let's see. Quite a, but then quite again... A, then again, so am I. So you know, I, I think I think George, I think George and I can live with it just about. Well, I, on that one, yeah. Um, I was quite surprised though. Some quite learned other sources of commentary on this sport were trying to contrive some ridiculous scenario to say, well, of course they put Lewis on the faster tires. Why didn't they have a briefing to say Lewis should get the first corner? None of these people have ever sat in a racing car to say. At what point in that dash the first corner? Because <laughs> last time I tried racing a car, you're sort of like you're on it. You're not just uh, saying, "Well, I'm just jointing down to the after, shop. after you, George. After you, George. <laughs> you know, and actually, um, uh, Andrew Shovlin gave a good explanation. He said the problem was the reason why the reason why Lewis was on the softs didn't have any other tyres because yeah. he had the worst allocation and share of tyres left after the previous two days. So he didn't have a medium that would go more than five laps. Well, the soft will go five laps. Bollocks, give him a soft tyre. So, yes, they knew that it might, but you can't manage that. You can't choreograph that. So this ridiculous suggestion that somehow Mercedes were at fault or worse, George is at fault for not... George got a good launch. Great. It's just one of the things. It is motor racing sometimes there will be contact. And I thought they were both a bit emotional at the time, but afterwards they dealt with it pretty well. Yeah, George's did, comeback yeah. was pretty good. I thought it was quite exciting. Shame for Merck. Um, but did Perez get lapped again? Perez got lapped, didn't he? I can't remember. That's two weeks ago. I mean, bless him. He had a bit of a shocker, didn't he? And right. he had a bit of a shocker. So I do wonder whether, I mean, who else would they, I mean, contracts are contract. If they, if they announced, or in Mexico, which is the one after Austin, I read someone this week, Sergio's suggesting, or it's suggested that Sergio might announce his retirement. He's 33, which these days is still quite young in F1 terms. Um, somebody who's got a contract would find a way out of it. 
But I thought, yeah. yeah so I, sure. I totally agree with you, uh, Monkey. You and I are totally aligned on that one uh, explanation of that of that that one. And Lewis did. Um, he did his usual. Both of them did his usual. He drove into me, but then I looked at it. Lewis must have thought, yeah, it was just one of those things. It wasn't absolutely. It wasn't premeditated. It wasn't a flounce. It wasn't. Why won't he let me through? I'm going to run into him. No, people who say that have never been in the racing car. Um, Neil Clifford, did you watch it? I did, but I can't really remember what happened. <laughs> they went around in no, circles. I've, I've spent no, the last 10 one. minutes. For once, I was happy that Chris was going on for about nine minutes because I was thinking, what the fuck happened in that race? <laughs> uh, Max probably won, did he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Comfortably. At a gallop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, because the one before was exciting and I was muddling up with the one before that was exciting and this one. Is that right? Uh, this was this had its excitement, yeah, but it, it was, was, but it was a predictable win for Max again. It has yeah. to be said. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's hard to stay interested now, but maybe that's my sort of slightly thin emotion for Formula One in general. Let's see what happens this weekend. Yeah, let's see what happens. It uh, it, it will generate a really good race, and maybe like we should just forget first position. See what happens further down the grid. Edward yeah, well, I, I was asked in last year, actually. It's a bloody brilliant place. To go. I'd recommend Did you go up it, that really it. tall thing? Did you have a look from that tall thing? No. No, I think you went to Austin, Texas. You didn't go to the race circuit. Or you, yeah, or you, I did. You, I went to the Grand Prix. You did go to the Grand Prix, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I went to the race. And it was really bloody great. I mean, America, let's, let's just have an American Love of America podcast because it was just a brilliant city, you know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just you can you can zoom about. It's like great restaurants. Um, everyone's everyone's happy. Yeah, keep Austin weird. That's the bumper right. sticker, isn't it? Keep Austin it's weird. Great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not I'm, in, Ma- I'm in Mexico City next week. Actually, I'm not actually there for the race. Weirdly, that's a bit of a schoolboy error, isn't it? But I'm there for the Friday. Therefore, me and my son are going to the practice. Oh, very nice. Edward, yeah. what did you think about the Grand Prix? Did you watch it or not? No, you uh, Australia, I, I, you? I had a, a week in Australia, so I was back weekend with the family. Yeah, okay, no worries. Yeah. Well, um, and, and, and a session one, at the, one, a session at the canteen. Yeah, manage. What did you? What were you going to oh, say? No, 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 no. It was just it was a little thought. Um, Max Verstappen became world champion on Saturday, and um, the very sharp end of the grid. The guys who actually become world champions don't just get into Formula One, don't just win a few races, but actually become world champions. It's a very rare bit of air, that. And then there are these guys who become multiple world champions, and that's an even rarer mm-hmm. bit of air. And I just wondered whether there was a little tiny piece of Lewis um, that unconsciously was extremely angry. And that anger is all about kind of uncon- unconscious competition. And I actually thought he thought he had a chance of winning this baby, or certainly keeping Max honest. And that's why I wondered whether... because. You know, I, I'm not quite as much of a Lewis fan as you. He's an incredible driver. But um, the one thing about him is his judgment at the limit for me and his just how clean he is. He is literally the cleanest multiple world champion I yes. think that's ever breathed air. I mean, he is just, mm-hmm. you know, he just, he does it with a kind of margin. And, and so I just think about the crashes he's had not not the early crashes, but the crashes he's had kind of in more recent times. There were two where he basically um, went into the back of Albon. And I think that's a very similar thing. I think that Lewis, 
has got this massive unconscious psyche. And there are certain things that make him angry. And you see them out on track. With Albon, I think it's that there's another British driver who is mixed race and very attractive and young. And I think that's Lewis's spot. And I think this was all about Max became world champion yesterday and he had an extra 5% of anger juice that morning. I think that could be right. It's a bit like the Beckham thing where he kicked the Argentinian. Exactly. Diego yeah, I think I think there could be some truth in that. Competition that runs so deeply with these guys. You know what Bernie um, once said to me about Lewis? Um, he said, and Bernie said it grinning like with massive approval. He said... Oh, he's a devious bastard. And he said it smiling. He loved the fact that Lewis is basically a velociraptor in a racing driver's body. You know, completely yeah. focused, ruthless. He does it more cleanly than everybody else because I think he's had the machinery and also because he's just had this wonderful margin of talent. And I think Max has really wound him up. I genuinely believe that. I think I, not... I, I, I see it. I see the point, but I don't necessarily agree with it. I think, I think he there must be a, a level of resentment and anger about twenty one because he was robbed. I don't, any, anyone that says he wasn't robbed, I don't, I don't believe them. But then twenty two and twenty three for me are absolutely, you know, a Red Bull had a quicker car; they were running away. So the outcome of twenty one doesn't alter the fact that he'd be a two time world champion anyway. Anyone that says yeah. that is equally lying, and I think that. Therefore, there is going to be some resentment there. I get it. I mean, the, the, the idea of resenting a mixed waste driver on the grid is a bit of a stretch too far for me from Lewis. But, but I do believe that he will allow himself, he'll allow external factors to help channel his anger. Yeah. And the danger is that sometimes he doesn't probably have the ability to control exactly where that goes. And we might get the odd spillage. Uh, but he, re he remains a pretty ferocious talent, I think. And, yeah, and totally. given how angry he must be, yeah. uh, given how angry he must be, uh, I think also Red Bull does a fantastic job of winding him up. What they've done yeah. over the last two or three years is they've created this entente cordiale between them and Ferrari and McLaren. They talk, the Red Bull machine speaks respectfully about every other team and driver apart from Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton. And they totally. treat, Max treats him like he doesn't exist. Um, and I think, I mean, at time, when I first heard it, I thought that's pretty disrespectful. But actually, it's a really clever tactic. It yeah. just it's it, bit, it gets behind his eyeballs. It's almost Absolutely. like it's almost like Lewis Hamilton and Toto Wolff and Mercedes never existed. That idea of of a lion coming into the opposition family and, yeah. and, and wiping out the DNA before they start to procreate and move on. It's brutal, but it's what they they've done it very effectively. Yeah, for yeah. seven seasons. Red Bull were looking at the exhaust of a Mercedes. Mm. You know, we had effectively an engine formula and a, that team was very, very, I'm talking about Red Bull now, were very effective at making extraordinary cars, but they had an engine that was somewhere between two and 3% down on the thing that Mercedes had. And there was nothing Adrian knew could do about it. I imagine seven years of losing winds you up a lot. Yes. And that's why that was the point I was trying to make. Now, Lewis has now had three years in a row of losing, and that stuff winds you up. If oh, you it, it, the it does. Rarest yeah. air imaginable. Yeah. Senna walked away from McLaren it, after two years a, of losing. You know, the drivers, I, I, all of that is true. And yet, he was on, he was third on the grid, got a mega launch could see, do you know what? I could just get this round the outside and lead the first couple of laps. 
last time I checked, I'm a racing driver. I'm the best racer's ever been. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a go. And yeah. it was very, very close. Max would have done the same thing. Max, Max would have done, done the same thing. thing. Any, you know, Any George, of them would. George Lando, Oscar, possibly, certainly Lando would have had a go at it. And it was just very, very small error and misjudgment. So um yeah, but I think you're right. They have that sort of the winding up bit. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Anybody's done any racing, you know, club racing like we've done or anything else or national racing, there's always somebody else on the grid that for that sort of randomness of personal chemistry or other reason, you sort of you want to not quite like, you want to think anyone can beat me apart from that person. And that does get in your psyche. And, you know, it's, mm. these guys are no different because when they put the helmet on, it's, it's a racing car. They're racing drivers. It's a race. It looks and feels the same. That's why it's fantastic sport. Okay. Moving on. How about this? How about this? But this is the first in an occasional series of discussing what we've done this week with cars. It was suggested by Mr. Neil Clifford, which means he's done something he wants to tell you about with a car or buying a car or selling a car. Who could it who can tell? Neil, surprise us. Well it it wasn't it wasn't because I had something particularly interesting to announce. I just thought that as we are car addicts, yeah. there should be 30 seconds of interest that we can talk about of things we're not frauds. Um, things I've done with cars this week. The um, My friend owns a lovely cafe in the New Forest called Chapin Cafe in Burley. And he had his first cars and coffee event on Sunday morning. I saw that. And I promised him that I would go down there with something interesting. So I did. It's the only Ferrari that's only ever been made in red. And it was two degrees and I left it out all night wrongly because I didn't, I thought that was clever, but obviously it wasn't clever. So the car was covered with frost, icy frost, not only on the outside of the car, but also on the inside of the windscreen. <laughs> nice. And because, because Burley is two hours from where I live and the thing started at 8.15. And of course, if it's 8.15, I need to get there for eight because I hate being late for anything. Yeah. It's six in the morning, therefore it is dark and it's icy and then there's no interior light in this car. So you've got your phone torch 
you haven't got a rag, so you're trying to use your coat to clean the inside of the windscreen of ice. So it was a little bit scary all the way from my house to the M25. And then when the sun came up, I was jolly relieved. <laughs> it would and melt. I could enjoy looking at my flick up lights. And then it all got good because the sun came up and it was lovely. And I enjoyed the drive and the cut. And the new forest is a wonderful, weird, special place because you're driving along with ponies and pigs. And they're free to sort of walk in front of you. And um, also and the big, the big, big trees. They're, they're wise, those trees. There's wisdom are. in there. When you drive through there, you, there's wisdom in big trees. Always yeah. freaks me out. And there is, yeah. there is a story that maybe will be shared one day that involves car insurance that I therefore didn't want any more drama with car insurance just at this point in time. So I did drive very carefully there and back, but it was very pleasurable and a lovely bacon and egg sandwich. What a lovely, what a lovely bit of gentle car storytelling from Neil Clifford. Chris Cooper, you're not going to beat that, but I'm going to give you a chance. Well, you know, so I've got an itch. It's an itch Bad I've start. Had for a, Bad start. It's an itch I've had for a while. It's and the itch is an R129 Mercedes SL. So I've been thinking about an SL500, SL600 for a while. So obviously, on Saturday morning, I went to look at a Range Rover Classic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 4.6 LSE, um, drove into London in my little Alpine, driving into London on a Saturday morning in a very small car that's very nice, was lovely. Went it's lovely. Cameron, really, really nice. It was a very nice trip. We went somewhere where the area in front of the dealer went to looked like a set from a Guy Ritchie film. It was quite atmospheric. So we had a little trip there. And in the afternoon, I went somewhere to look, friend of Neil's, another Neil, um to look at an sl but i was almost more interested in the forward control land rover that used to be one of neil's that was in the corner of this place um so obviously i went home and on sunday evening to fully scratch my itch for this sl i bid for an m635 on collecting cars <laughs> which i didn't get oh. i had a lovely weekend thinking about and fantasizing about cars. And then I had a little play in a car configurator, but we can't talk about that because Chris thinks that's boring. No, we won't be talking about that because we've not become the Insomniacs podcast yet. <laughs> so let me tell you about my week in cars, which involves an R129 500 SL. Oh. Uh, a 1996 version that's been in my shed for a while and we use it occasionally. But because we, I've sold a few cars, she was bought immediately into service on Monday. The roof was up. I tried to put the roof down because it was sunny and the roof didn't want to go down. It got stuck at half mast like they do. But I've worked out that if you apply a bit of pressure to one of the rear sockets with one of the male parts going into the female part like that. That's a good engineering term. Um, I You can actually wake up. It's all done in a cycle because it's hydraulic. So once it realizes it's back at the beginning of the cycle, it'll work. So I did that, and then we used it for two days with the roof down because the weather's been lovely, and we went across the suspension bridge in it, and I, but you had that sort of 60, 12 to 16 degrees is pleasant in a convertible. Yeah. Below, 12 degrees, below 12 degrees, your, your heater is struggling to keep up, and your bum warmers aren't quite working. But then yesterday, I tried to put the old girl's roof up, and she oh, really man. wasn't enjoying it at all. So I got the roof again halfway up. My trick with the male and female parts wasn't working as well so i tried really hard to get that to work and then a woman walked past me and i don't know her at all and she saw me doing it and she went oh dear that doesn't look good and she got <laughs> it she got into a skoda whatever kodiak kojak 
bivouac, one of those things, but I knew one behind me. And I said to her, Norda's yours. And uh, and she didn't find that very funny. And then, I drove <laughs> off, and then I drove off with my roof in a V-shape above my head to avoid a further <laughs> argument. Um, uh, what did you get up to, Edward? Uh, well, obviously, when we were recording this last week, I was in Australia. So I wanted to connect it to something I was doing in Australia. So to start with, I thought I did go and visit a storage facility uh, in the greater Sydney area, Ooh. as I was shown around an awful Ooh. lot of JDM kit, Ooh. showing me what oh, 1,500 okay. brake horsepower looks like in a skyline. It's not something I understand, but Chris and I will be making an adventure to the Southern Hemisphere in late January, early February. We'll make Ooh. sure... We will make sure we can educate you on Ooh, the 1,500 nice. horsepower monsters that they love in Australia. Um, anyway, I did see something the other day that came up. I think it was on the BBC News that they talked about the cost of ownership, the cost of owning a car in Singapore. And coming back from Ooh, Australia, you stop off in Singapore. So I wanted to get some connection here that they run an auction monthly. So you buy a COE, a Certificate of Entitlement. Entitlement. Yep. And it's $106,000 for the privilege to own a car car. in Singapore. But that's, that's only one of the costs. And given the fact we do like to talk about a valuable car here, they also have something in Singapore called an AFR, which is a taxation on, it's a luxury tax on cars. Mm. And it's tiered in certain values. And the top tier is $80,000 plus. And in the 2023 budget, they decided to put this tax up. Mm. Chris Cooper, I'm not going to ask you because you probably know. But Manish, what do you think the taxes, let's call it VAT, although it's AFR, in Singapore for a eighty thousand plus dollar car, two hundred percent. Christopher, hundred uh, percent. Neil, two hundred and twenty-five percent. Ooh, look at you back in twenty twenty-two. The budget <laughs> in twenty twenty-two was two hundred and twenty percent, but in twenty twenty-three they put it up to three hundred. And 20%. Yeah. And I just thought it, there's so $80,000 plus car you pay, regardless of the price, 320% tax on top of your $106,000 COE entitlement to be able to drive it. Singapore is never complain about your road fund license, UK. Edward, um, nobody other than um, Colin Sin told me about sort of the taxation there. Colin is um, the man who, you know, he he's on the FIA Senate and obviously runs the Grand Prix. And he just said, you know, we are a very, very small city and we are very wealthy on average. And um, if people paid European money for cars, he said, we just have bumper to bumper cars in Singapore. We have to price cars. I mean, you know, he is, he's making the kind of ultra Sadiq Khan point. If you become that successful in a place that small, you've got to make some choices about whether you're going to get to work or not. And these people, I mean, if they they don't have those taxes, I mean, what you're saying is a Lamborghini in that country, if you didn't have that tax, would be 
a car that everybody would buy. They buy every one of those people can afford a Ferrari. That's the that's the. No, kind I, I, of I, I'm not. Uh, I just thought it was. It's interesting. No, I'm not complaining. No, it came sure, from the sure. BBC around the the COE, which is quite an interesting tax yeah, that you no, to sure. buy yeah. at auction one of these entitlement things. But uh, you know, every country has a cost of living crisis. Every every country's trying to deal with emissions in cities. Exactly. And it's, it's quite interesting what one of the richest cities in the world, one of the most expensive uses money. In the world, exactly. How they deal with it. Yeah. The car culture, I spent quite a bit of time in Singapore this time last year. We were working there. And during the it, there's a massive divide between during the week and the weekends. Mm-hmm. I was in I stayed in that hotel, which was sort of on the very, very tall cylindrical one, which is on turn eight or nine of the circuit. And at a weekend, if you had the door open, window open, which you never really did because it's so humid, all you could hear was big stuff being revved to within an inch of its life. Just fantastic sounds all through the city and beyond at the weekend. It's quite an interesting car culture. There was, even during the week, there'd be really cool old stuff. Mark II Escorts, Mark I Escorts, a couple of caterums I saw. Um, and there's now there's a couple of Instagram things that I got linked up with because I met a few people when I was out there because I was there for the Grand Prix last year, I met a few people. Yes. I really like it. It's a really interesting, it's growing ma- massively. It's bigger land mass, obviously, in Hong Kong. So, yeah, I think... Yeah, but you and I have talked about it. I think it's watch yeah. the space Singapore. I think uh, it's, uh, but yeah, the one, theory is massive. What, one other thing happened, which I had a WhatsApp last night, which I'll I'll share in the group later on. But uh, our office is in West London, and um, we were onboarding a couple of new European consigners. Uh, they come to the office for a week, and we teach them uh, the ropes. And uh, we popped them over to the pub, or Rohan popped them over to the pub uh, in the in the evening. And they walked out of the pub at seven thirty, and there were three balaclavered um, scooter riders just smashing the rear windows open of uh, of cars in uh, on Parsons Green last night. Just whilst everyone was at the pub, smash in, bag out, smash in, bag out. And Rohan just stood there and filmed it. Obviously, you don't don't want to be getting involved. I'll I'll share the video with you later. Just Mm, mind. That's not good, that. No. Manish, uh, and it's not a loaded question, because you might have had an ordinary week with your Audi, and and we know that you don't drive to work, so I'm not trying to put you on the spot. But is there anything you'd like to share about your last week with cars? Yeah, actually, just something really tiny. It was an observation. Um, I live in Bellsmith Park. Just at the bottom of the road, there is 20 yards of uh, on-street um, Camden parking, C-A-B, Camden. And I saw seven minis parked within 20 yards of each other. And I made three, two mini three doors, one mini electric Cooper, three mini countrymen, and a mini clubman. Oh, Mr. Cooper likes a mini clubman. Yeah, I do like what a mini clubman. De- Clear glass, but I like a mini clubman. Cooper the 1.6, the first one. Yeah. Singapore level, Singapore level density. Yeah. Minis. There you go. Well, they, they did uh, top top gear. I'm sure I'm sure I'm not sure. I think pretty sure it was top gear, but like three or four years ago. Oh no, sorry, five or six or ten or ten twenty years ago. years ago. Sorry uh-huh. about that. But when they were doing the Fiat 500 and they drove into Notting Hill <laughs> and they, they obviously got the Fiat 500 o- owners club to sport fill the <laughs> Notting Hill up with, with Fiat 500s. <laughs> In uh, Notting Hill, we love a mini. Yeah. I mean, do you remember uh, sort of late nineties? The Foxtons minis were just a great yeah. shout. Brilliant. What a brilliant thing to do! 
Brilliant. Uh, right, now, I I'm dropping this in myself because I want to tell a story. So what's the weirdest thing you've seen on the public highway when you're driving along? What's the strangest thing you've seen? This is a chance for another anecdote. Mr Cooper, I'm keeping you to about two and a half minutes on this one. So the weirdest thing I've seen on the public highway is a ghost. Oh, was Rolls it a Rolls Royce reference or is it actually something else? No, uh, no. A, so I grew up in a village called Pluckley in Kent. Um, New that must be a sign. Was that a sign that was regularly altered by comedians in the area? Probably, <laughs> yeah. Um, it was near where Facility lived, actually, as a matter of interest. <laughs> um, and Pluckley is... Um, Pluckley is in, certainly England, if not Britain's most haunted village. And I was like five or six at the time. So, and in the wood opposite where our house was, there was... A, 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 an official ghost. There were seven official ghosts, and this bloke, the ghost, in the, uh, had been um, beheaded with an axe, and often the beheaded body was seen in a ghostly fashion, wafting over the woods down the road outside our house. So I remember one morning, or one night rather, coming back. I've been out somewhere with my parents, and I' pretty sure I saw the headless man from the wood. Oh, on the road. Well, I presume your parents had been drinking, so you couldn't be sure. Well, it was the 1970s, so everyone was drunk. No. <laughs> so, although they were drunk. Well, I, I wanted I wanted some some lightweight stories, but you've just described the fact that you were utterly terrorised as a child. So I'm sending you a group hug and hoping that you're all right. Oh, um, thank you, Neil Love Clifford. You. What's the most ridiculous thing you've seen? Dick about Crane. Exactly. <laughs> what there, um, there, there is actually a ghost. What the I know that's why. Sorry, I just let me put that down. I don't. Oh no! Hang on a minute. What are you doing oh. now? Give me a high five. <laughs> I'm using reactions. I don't know how to take them off. It's taken nine months <laughs> to work. Now. Neil Clifford. Neil Clifford. Tell us what your the most ridiculous thing or the weirdest thing you've seen. Well, there there is actually. You remind me of a ghost. There is actually a ghost behind the Red Lion Pub in a place called Hatesbury, which is just outside Warminster which I, I would always drive with my mum to Warminster to see yeah. my granddad. And there's a little river, and there is a there is a little a small child ghost yeah. in that pub. But anyway, that's not what I've seen. Um, I saw a tornado. Oh, wow. This, this is not a tornado quite in a sort of Alabama sort of way, but it was a tornado. Twister. And I was, oh, yeah, exactly. And I was driving from Adelaide to Ayers Rock um, on my way to Darwin in 1992 in a Volkswagen Combi van called Eric. And my wife was driving, actually, and I think I was sort of sat in the back making a cup of tea or something. And we saw this tornado, like a mini tornado, but like a proper thing. Yeah, yeah. And it came towards us and basically went right across the road Crushed the car down into a down into the side of the because it's all this red, you know, it's hardly a road. You're driving across red sand, and there, there I was, and the clips came off of the um, the pop up tent thing, and there's all bloody huntsman spiders living in the bloody thing. So that's another bloody drama. So you're then holding this roof down because if the thing fucking flies off, you've lost the roof of your combi van for about 20 minutes whilst this storm goes right the way over us and past us. And then, um, 
you know, we survive it. And on the way, off off we go to Alice Springs. Hate it with the hounds. Yeah, tornadoes in Australia. Yeah. Edward love it. Um. So back when I was a wheeler dealer, card dealer, um, I uh, flew to New York. I got in a hire car and I drove to Philadelphia. Oh, lovely. Where I proceeded to buy or negotiate and buy a IRS repossessed 275 GTB 4 cam uh, in Azuro Metallizato with Orantia leather. Ooh. Um, mm. Clearly, it was on the wrong side of the world, so I agreed to buy the car, agreed everything, and uh, departed the seller. And on my drive back to New York, because you're always looking ahead and you're looking at the rear lights and you're looking at the number plates and you're looking at, oh, that's interesting, that looks interesting. And I saw a BMW X5 about... 10 cars up in the middle lane. And I was like, that's got that's a UK amazing. That's got that's got a UK number plate on it. And I was like, well, that's sort of quite a bizarre thing to see on the high on the highway up back up to um uh to New York. And I got a bit closer and I was like, that's a right-hand drive uh UK registered X5. And I was like, what on earth is that doing here? And I got a little bit closer and I was like, I recognize that. <laughs> And I got a little bit closer. And because I'm so geeky, I can see a Dick Lovett rear number plate from about yeah. 100 metres away. This was a Dick Lovett supplied right-hand drive BMW X5 on UK plates in Philadelphia. I was working for Dick Lovett uh, at the time uh, for the family biz. And I just, that was that was quite quite a surprise to see that. Um, Who was driving in, it? You flag him I, down. I don't know. Some, someone that was obviously very fucking lost. <laughs> that is. It wasn't my ghost, was it? I don't. Oh think my so. god, Manish, what's the weirdest thing you've seen on the road? I think I might have mentioned this in one of the earlier ones. It was that trip from Delhi to Agra in 2011 by road. And um, you are going down a motorway. You're going down a motorway. So what you really don't expect in the slow lane walking towards you rather than going away is, is a camel. And it's, <laughs> and it's just laden with hay bales, which are five times wider than the camel. And yeah. even in a light gust, the thing is just doing this and it's just coming at you. <laughs> very slowly and yeah. someone has to make a decision about which lane they're going to be in and it's always going to be your driver i'll just never i thought we were going to die and you know it's going to be like one of those bad cartoons you hit the camel you find yourself in all that straw you find your way out of it we'll never forget it <laughs> so the reason i pose this is because something came to me uh, on monday when i was driving on the m5 I, I don't have a very good memory, uh, and I or I have a selective memory, and I just thought to myself, "Oh my God, I've never." It's just, I remember something I've never told anyone. So about five years ago, my daily car was a thing called a Mercedes E sixty three S Estate. Remains one of the fastest everyday cars I've had. I don't know whether they get. I owned it. I didn't. It wasn't a freebie. I owned it. I don't know whether they knew it was me and they gave it some more power, but it was miles quicker than my then GT three Touring in a straight line. It was a beast. And I, I was travelling southbound on the M5, south of, around near Gloucester. 
there's some straight bits there and I was going quite fast it was very late at night I won't specify what what time it was or what speed I was going at but it's not a speed I'd really want to talk about but I was just uh, I was sort of going inside lane to middle lane I saw these lights approaching me from the rear and at that point I think any driver who's really into cars immediately thinks is that the light signature that I might recognize of a potential vehicle of the law and these days, that would be a modern light signature. It would have some purple to it, some Xenon or some LED because they use modern cars. These headlights, they looked really yellow and they looked very old. And I thought, well, okay, I'm going to keep going and see, if, see how quick this thing wants to go behind me. So I upped my speed to a significant speed. And still the lights got closer. And then I thought, I've had enough of going any faster than this. I'm going to stay at this speed. If this thing wants to come past me, it's more than welcome. And I will salute and I'll chapeau as it goes past me. And as it came past me, I burst out laughing. I've never seen anything like it. It was a Citroen XM. Oh. And it was travelling at a speed that would that was well beyond the limit set by German manufacturers to stop their cars going fast <laughs> in the 1990s. No. And I to the I want to know who it was. <laughs> If you're watching this, I want to know who you are and I want to know what the fuck was in that car because it must have been a DFV to power that thing to that speed. Because it was. You know, sometimes you just, I just were there and I had no one to tell the story to. The person I was coming back to, the people I saw that week, I had no one to tell it to. So I just parked it in my... If I'd gone, you won't believe how fast this Citroen XM was, they didn't yeah. have it sectioned. But now yeah. I'm amongst my fellow geeks and addicts, I can ask the question, who knows if someone near Gloucester that had an XM that it, it behaved like it had an F-35 rocket up its ass. It must have had a must have had a Citroen DSV fitted to it. Also, just imagine how much bodywork it was shedding as it went along. It's not, it wasn't designed to go that far. Was it the wagon or the or the sort of coupe saloon? It was the it was the salute, it was the hatchback, not yeah. the, not the safari. Yeah. And you, you realise we're all going to be on the comments now for the rest of the week. <laughs> Somebody know. knows. But uh, but it was it was you know what it was just lovely to see. I think wow. I love seeing incongruous things, and it was it was a thing. That is the, very cool. I like that. So. Wow. Uh, we're now going to move on to our two-car garage, which was set this week by someone on YouTube called The Truman Show. <laughs> and it says, two-car garage, full stop, two Audis, exclamation mark, go, double exclamation mark. So, because we've decided this week that we love Audis. We don't really. Um, you we're don't. Going, we don't really. <laughs> Uh, we're going to move on to our two-car Audi garage, mm -hmm. known as Understeer City and Appalling Primary mm -hmm. Ride. Now, uh, what are you going to go for, Neil Clifford? <laughs> Easy. Yep. Audi Quattro Sport. Yep. The navy blue one. Oh, what colour is the interior? Tell me it's chocolate. No, it, no, because I've had one of these. I had a red one. And the, the, all the interiors are slightly green. Yeah. If you've noticed an Audi Quattro Sport. There's some sort of weirdness to it because yeah. it's cloth, but it's got a green tinge. Okay. I don't think there's a, there's a variety of interiors on that car unless you'd have done it special order. But anyway, I've seen, I think on Classic Driver, I've never seen one in real life, but there's a navy blue one with yeah. that slightly tinged green cloth with the white wheels. Yeah. I think that's really the king Audi. No one's going to beat that actually here. And then as it's a two car garage and as it has to be a convertible. 
and I have had a I did I did buy an Audi TT convertible and it's the it was the mistake because there's only one called TT and that's the original saloon but I'm not choosing that it's the R8 obviously manual obviously V10 obviously but the GT because the GT had those lovely seats and it's all about seats for me really there's that, uh, I think they made 300 of them or whatever it was. So convertible, R8, V10, GT, and Quattro Sport, navy blue, white wheels. You're so, so close. None of you will be good You're not far yeah. off there, Neil. Um, Edward yeah. Lovett, what are you going to have, given that your family's done so well out of Audi over the years? I was going to go last here because I have come up with the winning selection oh. as per almost we'll judge usual. So I've bought a race car, which has answered my convertible one. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with the race car because it is controversial. I'm going to start... As a road car, I think. Get on with it. As a modern, you know, as a modern podcast, you know, we we are we've got to think about the climate, so we need an electric car. So I'm gonna. I've bought an Audi S1 Hunitron because mm-hmm. that seems like a fucking cool thing to have. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. go watch the video of that thing driving mm-hmm. around the Vegas Strip. Uh, with the late, amazing Ken Block. Good. So you've um, bought a car you can't buy. What's the next car you're having? Well, no, you can buy it because it's been built. So I bought that one and I stuck some number plates. I'm stuck on trade plates. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? But the next one's a race car. And this is it. Oh, come on. I bought, a a, I bought a Porsche 91710. But if the, this is the one, Chris drove this and broke it in Chicago, this exact car. And he didn't break, he didn't break it. He was just being sensitive. But when a Porsche 91710 has Porsche plus Audi on the back, I think that's as much an Audi as we would want an Audi to be. Yeah. Do you know what? We're going to let you have it, but there's no victory in that at all. It's it's no. it's it's poor, it's poor quality and it's not to be encouraged. But you're allowed it once. Mic so drop. Mic drop. Boom. Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper. <laughs> what are you going for? So, um, I very nearly went for a Sport Quattro, but you kind of you pull that thread and then you end up with the RS 002, the Group S car that never raced. Yeah. Um, amazing thing. I would also go for a Gen One R8. V10, manual, spider, not the GT. Just have a little horrible spoiler on the back, don't mind that. Yeah, GT oh. was, was a Mark II, really. Yeah, so... Yeah, the, but also, I, hate, I, hate, I hate to be a pedant here, the GT was a paddles-only car, it didn't come as a manual. Yeah, yeah I think so, you're right, yeah. I so, got to be Gen 1, it's got to be Gen yeah. 1, because the Gen 2 car, the firewall and the engine was too far forward, and I didn't fit it. I tried a Gen 2 car, and... My, I was like looking like Trumpton. It was just silly. So I, we got out of the dealership. I said, I'm really sorry. I don't fit it. We'll go back. And the salesman was really crestfallen. He said, what about the colour? No, I don't fit it. <laughs> Would you like the V8 or the V10? No, I don't <laughs> fit it. It's got to be Gen 1. So, yeah, we're very close, Neil. Yeah. 
Oh, that's the two of them. Right, okay, sorry. Yes, two of them. Yeah. Manish, what are you going to have, other than an A4 of Ant, obviously? He's got one already. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, like the, I like the sexy version of my car, which is the B7 um, RS4. I yeah. just think that's just a gorgeous car. No, it's, yeah. a manual, it's a manual RS car. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a metallic blue one around the corner, which I must admit, I do lust after, and I do just look inside. It's absolutely immaculate. This car, you could I could see Tuco in the back, you know, Darshi in the back, cricket bags, the whole thing. It's just very, very sexy. Do it. By the way, I didn't know you can buy them for less than twenty five thousand pounds. Yeah, yeah, you can, but there's not many good ones out there, and they rot like pears underneath. You have to have a really good look inside the gusset of that one. Do do they? I thought they were supposed to be. I thought they're supposed to be rust-proof and this and that. No, they, 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 there's a few issues underneath those. Have a, have a good look. Uh, okay. And my second one would be the A4 Cabriolet, the original. Princess Di. So something, I thought that was such a... Oh, that was a pretty that was, car, that. That was an it's Audi a 80. beautiful yeah. car. I'm going to use the B word, but the it's... Princess so Di car was the 80 convertible. 80. Yeah, I just said... So yeah. are you going 80 or A4? We're going 19... Edward, go away. Are we going? Are we going nineteen ninety one, or are we going nineteen ninety six? We're going nineteen ninety six. Okay, so that's A4. the A four. Yeah, the A4. you know what? You're right. It was the it was the first convertible of that of that class that looked S class quality wise. The chrome work on it was so well Lovely. produced, and it was very accurate as well. So it's a good Lovely. choice. A friend of mine who became a radiologist, he actually um, he really fell in love with it in a brochure because there was no online at the time ordered it, went out there and collected it. And I still see him driving it. And he bought the thing, I think, in 1997. It's such a beautiful car. And just, yeah, I, I haven't seen a car which, when you you know, when the roof is down, it literally yeah. is a straight line. There, it's it's just, like a 107 Mercedes yeah. is similar. The, exactly. um, the, the RS4 version of that car never quite worked because it wasn't no. very stiff, so you would chase the similar around. So most of you are right, but this is a two-car garage, so we need some balance. So even though people don't like them, or at least Neil doesn't like them, the C7 RS6 is probably the most complete Audi ever built. And they are, I had a, I, maybe, they're, maybe they're variable, but I had a, a one-off the Audi press office years ago that I ran. It was a brilliant car, I have to say. It understeered a bit. It wasn't like an M5, but then you don't care about that when you use it as a daily. It was fast. It was inconspicuous. It had lots of space. It never went wrong. The cabin was logical. It still smelled a little bit of wee when it was new, but that's just the Audi thing. Um, the other car, I agree with Chris Cooper, would be an R8 V10 spider manual and i'll tell you i'll give you a little story as to why so when i worked for a magazine called evo or ever if you lived up north and that that car um was along as a support vehicle for us it was just along because the main event that audi was pushing for the 2010 evo car of the year competition was the r8 gt that had its fancy suspension and it was supposed to turn up and beat the gt3 rs and the gt2 rs and we were at cowboy park where unfortunately one of my learned colleagues decided to fire it into a wall. And we, learned that, that, and we learned that you have R8 V10 GT versus wall, wall wins. So wall won that competition. And we thought, what do we do? We've got another Audi R8. We could slide into the competition. So we slid, because this happened very early on. Is that the correct part of it? We slid 
this R8 V10 Spider in as a kind of gesture to make sure Audi weren't that pissed off that we'd written off the only V10 GT in the country. And the little bastard nearly won the competition because it was miles better than yeah. the car wow. should have been in the competition because it was a manual, because it rode properly. It, tell you what, that is a... Dis- if I see someone in one of those, I nod and think, you have yeah. done well there. Yeah, one of the thing. best convertibles on the road. So That's yeah. a niche. That's a positive note to end on with Audi, that, you know, they do sometimes have their day. But do you know what? Sometimes I'm a nice person. Sometimes Edward's funny. Things happen like that, you know? So Not um, often. Now, at this point, I would normally say we're going to choose some music. But because we are working with the times... My data monkey, Mr. E. Lovett, sent me some crucial data earlier. And it says that our audience shrinks by 20% at the end of the podcast when we talk about music. So we're not going to talk about music because we don't want to lose you. We want to keep you, all 20% of you that are curmudgeons that don't like our music. So on that note, I'm going to say goodnight from myself, from Edward Lovett, from Chris Cooper, from Manish Pandey, from... Where is he? Neil Clifford, his hat's down there. And from the Pink Flamingo that's We're been with there later. the whole ride. Thank you for coming along for the journey and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>